Welcome to the Shoreline Community Church Podcast, a community of love, acceptance, forgiveness, and belonging. For more information, be sure to check us out online at shorelinecc.com. I hope you've enjoyed this series. For me, it's been a great study. We, we called it Below the Surface because we wanted to take some time to, to dig into some things, things we talk about, but things that we don't often take time just to kind of lean into because sometimes we feel like we're in a hurry or there's so much to talk about, the richness of the word of the Lord. So we wanted to take this time just to dig in, and, and the, that's why the first three weeks we began with the Holy Spirit, talking about who the Holy Spirit is, his work in our lives, the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And I want to encourage you, don't let that just be a three-week series. The Holy Spirit empowers us. Jesus told his disciples as he was leaving, departing, and the disciples were like, oh, no. He said, no, wait, be filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit empowers us. The Holy Spirit reminds us who we are in Christ. The Holy Spirit, when we don't know what to say, reveals to us what to say. The Holy Spirit, the Bible says, teaches us everything, and it reminds us when we forget, right? That's, that was my experience in high school. I learned everything, but I forgot it all. <laughs> I know my teacher told me, but, you know, it, it didn't sit in. The Holy Spirit reminds us and teaches us those things, so... Let me encourage you, continue to seek, continue to ask, continue to be filled. And then we talked about salvation, that salvation is not just agreement and acknowledging that God exists. Satan acknowledges that God exists, but it's a complete surrender of our life, a complete turning away from the old life and following Jesus, being filled with that power and walking and being a witness to that. Last week we talked about um, about healing. The Lord heals us. The Lord has healed me. But today... I want to go into a little tougher question. It's a tougher question because we know that Jesus heals. We have testimony of healings. I've been healed in my life. When I was younger, my eyesight started shutting down, and my parents brought me forward, and the elders, they surrounded me. They anointed me with oil. They prayed, and my eyesight was restored. But there are things that I've asked God for healing, and it hasn't happened. Have you been there? Things you've asked the Lord and maybe things that you've laid out. And we hear these verses like Jesus said, ask anything in my name and it will be done. And we ask and we pray, but yet it doesn't. So the big question I think for today is what do we do when we ask to be healed and God does not heal? What do we do when we read these scriptures? We see that in Matthew 12, all of these examples, there are prayers I pray, there's things we haven't seen an answer to. But we know that when we look at Scripture that Jesus was the only one that when he prayed, he healed them all, right? So what do we do? How do we reconcile this? Well, today I want to just dive into just a few things as we walk it through. Because Jesus said that anything we have, and then Paul wrote, all of our cares, all of our anxieties, all of that, we bring it to the Lord. We bring it to God. God is not out to frustrate you. God is not out to tease you. God tempts no person. But he says, bring it, knock at his door, and he will open it. Amen? Amen. So, Lord, we we knock at your door today. Lord, we bring you our tough questions. We bring you our hurts. We bring you our hang-ups, knowing that you are there to answer. So, Holy Spirit, flow through my life today. Let the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Lord, I pray that you would show us what you want us to see today. Help us as we walk in your name. And everyone said together, amen, amen, amen. So uh, as we think about this whole thing about what happens when we pray and we ask, but we don't seem to see the healing, I want to begin with the ask. 
I want to start with the ask. And this is the, the goal of prayer. You know, everything kind of starts with the ask, right? Because that's where we're frustrated. We ask for it, but we don't see it. So I believe as we tackle this question, it's important for us to dive into what is the goal of prayer? Because before we kind of think about what, what if God doesn't heal me, let's look at how we ask. See, it's in the ask that we're often frustrated because, again, we know Jesus loves us. We know that Jesus heals. And Jesus even said in John 14, 14, he said, if you ask anything, anything, he didn't qualify it, you ask anything in my name, and I will do it. So when we ask for anything, what happens when we pray, we ask, and it seems like nothing's happening. You know, God, I'm, I'm still sick. You know, I'm still tired. I'm still bald, whatever, whatever your, your prayer to the Lord is. God said, I just moved it from your head to your chin. So whatever that is, we ask and we pray. How do we respond when God doesn't heal us when we ask? Well, for a lot of us, when we ask and our response, if you're like me, you know, we, we question ourselves. Maybe there's something wrong with me. Maybe, you know, maybe I'm praying wrong, right? Maybe I need to get the right words. Maybe, maybe there's sin in my life. Maybe there's something I need to do to earn God's love and favor. Maybe I need to do all these things. And these are good questions to ask, but oftentimes when we don't find answers there and we don't find any resolve there, we go to that next step, which is we question God. And by question, I don't mean we ask questions. Ask questions. The disciples ask Jesus questions all the time, but we question the ex- existence of God, and it moves us to a crisis in our faith. I think it's why it's important that we begin with the ask because we need to define the goal well. And the goal of prayer is not to get what I want. The goal of prayer is to get who I want. This is every relationship, right? If we just talk to somebody and be nice to people just to get what we want, right? That's a pretty dysfunctional relationship, isn't it? I'm only talking to you. I'm only being nice to you. I'm only buying you coffee today because I've got a big ass. I want you to invest in this or I want you to give me this or I want you to do whatever that is. See, we need to remind ourselves that prayer is a conversation with God and it's a conversation that is meant to build intimacy. That's the goal of prayer. It's our connection to him. And it's so important because this connection with God, this intimacy with God, it transforms our life. We are transformed through prayer. It's through prayer that our life is brought into alignment. That's what Jesus was talking about, asking in my name. When we pray, when we humble ourselves, when we're not just speaking to God, but prayer is also listening. If you're somebody that they just do all the talking the whole time and you just start looking at your watch and you're like, right, you've, you checked out long ago because they're doing all the talking. A good conversation is it's both ways. We talk, we share, but we also listen. We learn how to listen, and we, we hear from God. We bring our lives into alignment. See, the goal of prayer is to align our lives with God. And this can be a difficult process, a very difficult process. You know, if you're like me, a lot of times, especially early on, it would be portrayed to me that a life of prayer, this was a refreshing time, right? This is like having coffee with God. How are you doing today, God? I'm doing fine. It's just this refreshing time, and it's just all light and it's airy. And we think about this a lot, and at times, prayer is this way. Prayer can be a retreat where we're we're, we're just hanging out and we hear those things. And there are times, as it says in Psalm 23, that the Lord will lead me to still waters and to green pastures, and he restores my soul. That's a part of prayer. 
But when you're going through a difficult time, when you're hitting great difficulty, when you're in a battle with the enemy, when you're in a season where there's this attack and there's a need for strengthening and for wisdom, prayer is not so much like a coffee at your favorite coffee house. Prayer becomes a war room in your life. Have you experienced that? Where you're laying your life before the Lord and you're seeking him and you're saying, God, I don't understand. Why is this happening? Or I'm praying for this person I care about. Or I'm, I'm going through this difficulty. Why are these things happening? Or I'm hurting God. Prayer can often be a forge in our life where the Lord then begins to refine us. He begins to purify us. He begins to reveal things. He begins to cut things away. And like every surgeon, it hurts. And we back away from it. And we're like, can I get some more pain medication? Is the anesthesia working yet before you cut me? I want to I be numb to this first because that can be a very difficult process, though we need it. It's a refining time. And it can be very exhausting. And I think the fact that it's so exhausting is why so many times we back away from that type of prayer, right? I just, God, can I just come and just, you know what I want, I'm going to confess this is what I need, and you just bring it, and then I can just go on. That's what we want. But when we look at the experience of so many of the heroes of faith, so many of the wonderful people who follow God in their life, we see this, that prayer was this time of the, God refining them. It was, this, it was this furnace that he put them into to strengthen them, to build them, to teach them. This, this was the experience of Job. His prayers were prayers of agony and of pain. We, we see this with Elijah. I love Elijah. What a great study. You know, here's Elijah, the great prophet, running in exile, running in frustration, bearing his soul to God, saying, I'm the last one. And God's saying, no, there's hundreds, but let's focus on you right now. Elijah had frustration. David. David was pursued by many of his enemies. And have you read those psalms that where David's talking about crush them, get them? You know, he's doing this, you know, this Lord of the Rings chant almost at times. It's, it's frustration. This was his prayer life because it's difficult at times. And in all these situations, we see men of God, women of God, frustrated, not getting the responses they hoped for, and they're calling on God, even agonizing over the path that was in front of them. Jesus even prayed, Lord, let this cup pass from me, but not my will be done, but yours. But I want you to know that in all of these prayers that we see them, God is not putting those out as wrong prayers to avoid, but as a model of prayer that God is welcoming the conversation. God wants you to bring it. Why? Because it transforms your life. Right? We know this. Even Rocky Balboa knew this, no pain, no gain, right? It's, it's, this, it's this process of refining and, and going through that we are strengthened. See, the Lord doesn't want us to just be, be the kind of Christian that we look at prayer, you know, at prayer is just being this time of, you know, prayer is about sitting on Santa Claus's knee, and we, and we sit on Santa Claus's knee, and we ask for these things, and we hope we've done enough things to be on the nice list, and we hope we've hidden away all of our brothers and sisters who can tell enough things to put us on the naughty list, right? It's not a Santa Claus moment. I'm looking around to see if I can say this next statement. I don't want to ruin it for some of the kids, but Santa Claus is not real. <laughs> right? This is not how we're meant to interact with the Lord. 
See, prayer is talking to, communing with the Almighty God. It's communing with the maker of heaven and earth, the one who holds creation in his hands, the one who made you and the one who loves you and so much desires that you have a relationship with him so that he can move in your life and transform you. This is prayer. We need to remind ourselves who we're talking to. And we only talk to him because through Jesus Christ, the confession of our sins, now we've been transformed. We've been made new. This is who we're talking to. This is who is is inviting us. But in order to do this, I need to be transformed. And the vehicle for this is prayer. Listening, speaking, worshiping. You're worthy of it all. God, you reign above it all. That's why we sing these songs, because they are the truth of God. And when we speak the truth of God, we are transformed. We're entering into that. My heart needs to be transformed, even though it's Canadian. It needs to be transformed, right? It needs to be transformed. That's why in James 4 it says, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions, Dwayne. I I, I put the Dwayne part. When I read scripture, I often put in (laughs) Dwayne. I personalize it. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity? You're, you're warring with God. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. You can't have it both ways, right? You can't have it both ways. That's why David prayed, create in me a clean heart, O oh God. Renew your spirit in me. That's what prayer is. It's transformed. This was the prayer. This is King David, the apple of God's eye, praying, Lord, create in me a clean heart. See, presenting our needs to God is important. God tells us to do this. But it is more important than this, that what happens when we lay our lives humbly before God, we are changing that process. I mean, some of the the strongest relationships I have in my life are those that when I was in a deep, dark corner, I went to them. I went to her. I'm pointing at Stephanie. (laughs) Right? This is not a superficial relationship. She knows everything about me. She knows things about me that I'm blind to and tells me. (laughs) These are transformative moments. How even much more with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is what prayer is. We need this right perspective on prayer. We need to recognize and, and have a good understanding of what the ask is. But we also need to remind ourselves of God's purpose. Understanding prayer, but God always, he brings us back to the purpose. See, purpose in our lives is very important. It's a thing we're all looking for, right? We're, we're looking for the purpose in our life. Why am I here? What's the meaning of life? And as it relates to God, everything has a purpose. That's Proverbs 16.4. That's why Paul writes in Romans 8, he lays this out. He says, we know that for those who love God, all things work together. All things, everything works together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. What God is saying is that everything in our life, for those of us who love God, sacrificial love, we've given our life to the Lord, we're with him, everything, God works together. 
See, there's an overarching purchase, uh, purpose to everything in our life. Everything in our life is meant to give glory and honor everything. You know, we tend to kind of put things in boxes, right? We like those bento boxes where you can kind of separate everything. I love that. But God's saying, no, everything. When you love me, when you surrender to me, everything in your life. This means that whatever comes our way, we look to God and we recognize, God, you are sovereign. I don't like this. I've done very difficult funerals where I'm like, God, what's happening here? And God is saying, I'm sovereign. You stand on me. You speak my word. You proclaim my truth. And watch me work all things together for the good of those who love, sacrificially lay things before the Lord. This is what God does in our lives. I love Acts 26. It says, but rise and stand up on your feet. For I have appeared to you for this purpose to appoint you as a servant and witness. Remember that witness word that we studied a few weeks ago? And witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you. See, we can give witness to God in our lives when things are going the way we like it. I love that witness. God, just let me be an example of your goodness poured in my life. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Never miss a shot. (laughs) We love that. When we're healthy, our jobs are going great, right? Things are okay with me these days. I mean, everything. This is, that's what we want. But we need to recognize that it's often in the dark times that as we honor God, that we give glory to God when things aren't going well and we're trusting him. When things are not going the way that we ask, when, when our prayers seem to be unanswered, when, when there are struggles in our life. This is when we grow, this is when we transform, when we recognize that the presence of pain is not the absence of God, right? Somewhere along the way, we've come to this idea that being a Christian, following God, means we've got this dome, this shield around us where nothing can, can get to us, where no hurt, heartaches, nothing's going to come our way. But in the Bible, we see something very different. We see that when we are in our pain, that God He draws closer to us in that moment. Because sometimes we can go, well, there's pain in my life. Maybe there's, maybe I'm doing something wrong, and I've done a lot of things wrong. That's a, that I ask that question to God all the time: Is there something I'm doing wrong, creating me a clean heart? But what we see in the middle of this is that God doesn't leave us in our pain; that He actually leans in. Listen to this Psalm again, 34. Psalm 34 says, "What the Lord is near to the brokenhearted." Near is not over there. Near is right here. When the Lord sees you broken, he is near. And it says that he saves the crushed. He saves the crushed in spirit. You know, the Apostle Paul is such a great example of this perspective. Now think about the Apostle Paul, right? The Apostle Paul in the New Testament. The Apostle Paul, one of the greatest figures, I mean, most commentators would point to Paul second only to Jesus in the New Testament as far as the example and the way he lived it out, writing most of the New Testament, planting churches, casting out demons in Jesus' name, and prayed for the sick, and they were healed. In Acts 19, it even says this. In Acts 19, it says that God gave Paul, this is Luke writing about Paul, he says, God gave Paul the power to perform unusual miracles. When handkerchiefs, I haven't had a handkerchief for years, but back, you know, they used to have these handkerchiefs, right? 
when handkerchiefs or aprons that merely touched his skin, Paul's skin, were placed on sick people, they were healed of their diseases, and evil spirits were expelled. Holy cow. This is not a fairy tale. God gave the power to Paul to perform unusual miracles that even cloth that touched Paul, they would take that and put it over people, and they were healed, and diseases were expelled. This was the life of the Apostle Paul. And if you know his story, where he was and where he is, massive transformation. And yet, even though God had given this power to Paul and was using him in incredible ways, in 2 Corinthians, we see that Paul had some hardship in his life. It was a hardship that he described as a thorn in his flesh. Right? It's a thorn in his side. Now, we're not sure what the thorn was. There was a, there's a lot of theories on that and commentators, and I've read so much about this, and at the end of every commentary, they're like, this is what we think it is, but we're not really sure. But we know it was bad enough that the Bible says that Paul begged God. He begged God three times to take it away. And even though Paul begged, it was not removed. Now, it would be very easy for us to go, well, maybe I lost it. Maybe I've, maybe I've lost it anymore. Maybe, maybe God's removed this from me. Maybe he's not with me anymore. Maybe he doesn't care anymore. Why is it I, I pray for other people and I see their lives going so well, but I've got this thorn on my side, and God, I'm begging you, take it. After all, God, remember, I'm the guy that when handkerchiefs or aprons are merely touched the skin, they're healed of their diseases, demons are removed, all this stuff happens. I'm putting the handkerchief, but it's not working. What's, what's going on? See, instead of Paul saying what's wrong, Paul looked for the purpose. All things work together for the good. God loves me. He's with me. So Paul began to look for the purpose, and he found it. And here's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 10. He says, so to keep me from being conceited. Do we have pride problems? To keep me from being conceited, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But here's what the Lord said to Paul. He said to Paul, he said, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you. For my power, the power of Christ, is perfected in weakness. Wow. So then Paul says, Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses. <laughs> if that's what it is, if your power is manifested in weakness, Paul says, I, I'm going to boast in my weakness. Why? so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. See, we want the power of God, but we want to keep the power of Dwayne or the power of whoever you are. Yeah, I want your power. Can I, can I add it to my power? And Christ say, no. Your power is not going to change the world for Jesus. It's in your weaknesses. So he says, for the sake of Christ, then, I am content. 
I'm content with weaknesses. I'm content with insults. I'm content with hardships. I'm content with persecutions. And I'm content with calamities. Read that last sentence with me. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Wow. Do you see the level of engagement? Do you see Paul's prayer life? Right? Paul's not just off having delicious Turkish coffee with God and just dancing through the, you know, tiptoeing, waving his handkerchief around. I mean, he's, he's battling here. He's digging in here. And he, and he came to, a res, to this acknowledgement of his life that there's a pride issue. Paul has it. I have it. Everybody has pride somewhere. Canadians have it too. <laughs> right? It's just manifest a little different, but it's... See, Paul engaged with God. He begged God, and when this wouldn't happen, he's like, I got a pride problem. See, God was using Paul powerfully, but he saw that there was a pride issue there. So the answer, I'm going to give you a thorn to remind you. You want to be used by me? Yes. But then God said, but I'm also going to give you strength to endure that thorn. In other words, Paul had a daily reminder that the strength, the power that he has is not his own. It's given to him by God. We need that reminder. I, think, I don't think you need to think very hard to think of examples of people that you've seen them use in the Lord and then the pride comes up and then there's great tragedy. And it hurts it hurts them, it hurts the body of Christ, it hurts the witness of Jesus in our world. So Paul said, Get, I'll, I'll, I'll be content with that thorn. I'll be content with that. See, Paul had a desire to be used by God, but he recognized that the more that God used him, the more susceptible he was to becoming conceited, thinking it was him instead of God. So Paul wanted to continue to be used by God. He embraced the pain as well as the provision. He embraced the truth that God's strength is perfected in our weakness. And when we try to use it in our own strength, we get in the way and we become a hindrance. So we say, I'm, I'm going to boast. I'm going to boast in my weakness in all of these things. Let the power of Christ rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, I'm going to be content in being weak. I'm going to be content with the insults. I'm going to be content with hardships, persecutions, and calamities. Even if somebody says something bad about me on Facebook. Because sometimes that's all it takes to knock us off. Someone doesn't like me. They're my friend on Facebook. They're, or social media or Snapchat or Be Real, whatever. Whatever it is. And Paul's saying, don't be so easily knocked off. God's going to use you. He's going to strengthen you. When you're weak, you're, you're, you're strong. See, pain brought perspective to Paul's life. Perspective that was essential in order for him to carry out God's will in his life. The pain was a necessary part of his life. So he recognized that in, in suffering, something that so many of the great men and women, the heroes of the faith, and even of today, they recognize that when I suffer for the glory of God, I'm partnering with Christ. I think sometimes we forget that. See, there's pain that's self-inflicted that I brought on myself. It's just Dwayne was stupid and did something right. But when I'm suffering for, for the, 
glory of God. I'm, I'm stepping out. I'm being used. I'm sharing. I'm walking in a path, and I'm suffering. Paul is saying that we are now, we're partnering with Christ. In this pain, this is a partnership in this. In Philippians 3, he says, I want to know Christ. I want to experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him. I want to share in his death. You can only be raised from the dead if you've died first. See, we want the resurrection, but we don't want the death that is necessary to experience that power. In verse 11, he says, so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. And in Romans 8, 17, he says, and since we are his children, since we are his heirs. He says, in fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we share his glory, we must also share his suffering. Jesus suffered. He's called the suffering servant. So if we share the glory, we must also share his suffering. Yet what we suffer now, it's nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. Think about that. I want to share in the power. I need to share in the suffering. But it's nothing compared to the future glory he will reveal later. See, Paul, Paul viewed suffering as a normal part of a Christ follower. When you follow Jesus, you're going to suffer. But I also say, when you don't follow Jesus, you're still going to suffer. <laughs> I'm not saying only Christians suffer. No, We're in a broken world. The world that we're in today is not the intent that God had. We messed it up. Garden of Eden. No, I mean, no, I can't even imagine gardening without weeds. (laughs) There were so many rocks to pick up. I broke my pickaxe this year. You know? The Garden of Eden was what God had meant. We are in a broken world. And Paul is saying that suffering it's a normal part of, of, the, of the Christ follower. And it's something that is, transforms us and develops deep intimacy with Jesus. See, intimacy often involves suffering. Because when there's intimacy, it means that I need to humble myself. I need to be transformed. There's things about me that need to change. And this is why so many often give up. They want the intimacy, they want the relationship, but they don't want the pain that goes along with it. I mean, this, this is true for every close relationship. Stephanie will tell you, our first five years of marriage were, were painful. Right now she's going, oh yeah. Why? Because we were learning. We wanted the intimacy of marriage, we wanted the commitment of marriage, but we were just two young kids trying to figure it out. See, every close rate. In every close relationship, this is why so many people give up. We give up on friendships when it costs us. People give up on the church when it costs them. I mean, even, I I heard this when I was back home. I hear this here. I hear it everywhere I go. Yeah, I went to church, but there's some messed up people in church. I'm going, (laughs) I'm one of them, and I'm leading it. Wherever you find people you're going to find brokenness because we're all broken or we're just pretending that we're not. And we're all at different levels of maturity in different areas of our life. You can be someone who served the Lord for decades and you are mature and strong in so many ways, but there may be a part of your life that you have not allowed the Lord to touch and to come in and, and transform you. 
You can be serving the Lord for just one year, and you may have grown in faith beyond some of those that have been there, but there's parts of your life that need to be transformed, and there's rubbing, and there's friction, and there's disagreement. That's why we center our lives on the firm foundation of Jesus Christ, his word, his transformation, and we wait, and we allow the Holy Spirit to fill us, to transform us, to teach us all things, to empower us all things, to give us the fruit of the Spirit of things like self-control and restraint and patience. This is the work of a follower of Christ. And if someone's hurting, if someone's broken up, if someone's messed up and they're going through great tragedy, you need to bring them to church. You need to bring them here so that we can surround them and love them. And those of us filled with the Holy Spirit, we have patience, self-control, and the Lord speaks to us in the right tone with grace and truth. The truth will transform them, but the grace will allow them to hear it. They need to be here. Church is messy. Right? My home was great until, and, and everything was in a spot. I put a cup in a spot, and I went back and got it. Everything was there until I started having kids. Why? Because they think the cup should go over here. Right? They think it should be over here, or we should go over here. Or they want to eat there, and they're learning how to eat. But you'd never look at a baby and go, will you stop throwing that up? Will you stop making such a mess? Stop being such a baby. <laughs> you'd be like, that guy's messed up. But sometimes we treat people in the church that way. It's going to be messy. It should be messy. If, there, if there's no mess around, there's no growth going on. If there's no friction going on, there's no transformation going on. And now we come in with the Holy Spirit. We, we come and fill the Holy Spirit. We come in with the power of the Lord. We're filled with the Word. And we speak to it. We, we, we don't just let a mess happen, right? When a baby makes a mess, mom and dad got to come in and clean it up. And when mom and dad are so tired you got aunts and uncles and friends going, let me get that for you. Let me bring a meal. Let me help come in. Let me, let me do all that so you can get some rest. You've been taking care of that baby. Amen? <laughs> That's what the body of Christ is. You don't complain about the mess. You clean it up and you help. And you go, it's going to take this baby a long time to learn how to not make a mess. But we train up a child in the way they should go so that when they're old, they will honor the Lord. This is what we do. See, the attraction of the idea of being like Christ means that we share in the suffering of Christ. That's why in 1 Peter it says, Dear friends, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're going through as if something strange were happening to you. He says what? Instead, be very glad. Get, get, get your joy going, right? Get your joy going because these trials, they make you partners with Christ and in his suffering so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it is revealed to all the world. If you are insulted because you would bear the name of Christ, you will be blessed for the glorious spirit of God rests upon you. And he says, it is no shame to suffer for being a Christian. Praise God for the privilege of being called by his name. Let's all, and I'm like, let's this, this just thunderous applause for the pain we're going through, right? <laughs> it's hard. I get it, I understand it, I see it. But it's hard. But we need to recognize this is transformative. And sometimes the learning curve is steep. Do you know why sometimes the learning curve is so steep? Sometimes because we've ignored it, right? God's, he's like, I've been trying to teach. I had a 10-year plan for you, but you kept saying, no, 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 and now the test is coming. You've got to learn. 
I've, that's happened to me a lot. Sometimes it's steep. And sometimes as we go through, there's something coming in and God's saying, you can do this, you can do this, you can do this. I'm going to empower you. You're going to experience what it's like for my power to come into you, though. In yourself, you're not ready. In yourself, you didn't study. In yourself, there's all these deficiencies. But you know what? I'm going to do something special in your life right now. You're going to walk in unprepared, unplanned, and even unknown. But the power of God's going to show up in that moment. And you're going to go, wow. I did not study for that. No one prepared me for that, but I just walked in and I stood before my accusers and the power of God showed up and they're going, Dwayne did not plan for that. Dwayne did not prepare for that. Dwayne's not that smart. <laughs> Only God can do this. This is what happened to Daniel. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I mean, all these, think of all the stories where God came in in the middle of this. But and in addition to all that, as we put this perspective on why we have pain in our lives sometimes, why there are things there, is there any purpose in this God? We also know that suffering helps us stand with people who are suffering. I mean, how often do people who are struggling with something as scary as cancer, they go to somebody who's gone through cancer and they say, how did you do this? Or their children are breaking their heart and they go to somebody who's like, you know, I, I saw what you went through. How did you get through this? Whatever it is. See, Richard Foster explains this so well. He said, our hearts are enlarged and sensitized by suffering. We become wounded healers, as Henry Nowen has taught us to say. Gone forever are the pat answers, the zip, the zap. Make everything fine. We endure the agony that prepares us to enter into the anguish of others. We come to recognize the suffering of our time in our own hearts, and that becomes the starting point for ministry. See, oftentimes, some of your biggest suffering in your life will become some of the biggest ministry in your life because you've been there. You've had to deal with the, what Richard Foster calls the zip-zap, right? The little platitudes, if I'm going through a hard time, I don't need bumper stickers. I don't even put bumper stickers on my car, except for the Kraken. Right? We, we don't need bumper stickers. We need someone to get in. See, we all can give encouragement and love and support to those around us, whether we've experienced pain or not, right? I don't need to show, I've experienced this so I can love you. No, that's not what he's saying here. What he's saying is, though, is that, but when you get with someone who's walked through those deep waters... They've gone through what they've experienced. There's a difference in the conversation. Great ministry comes out of great pain. This is one of the confidences that we have in Jesus Christ. The writer of Hebrews says, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in our times of need. What the writer is saying is that Jesus has gone through it all. Jesus has died and he's rose again. He's been tempted. He's been persecuted. He's been misunderstood. One of, my, one of the things that aches me the most is when I've been misunderstood. Does that bother you? Someone says something about you and like, that's not what I meant. That's not, that's not who I am. You misunderstood. You know you're misunderstanding me and telling people wrong. I mean... We struggle with that. I struggle with that. 
They misunderstood Jesus, who was perfect, who did everything perfect, who said everything perfect, and still people misunderstand. Jesus knows. But to get to this level of understanding, to get to this level where, yes, I die to myself, I live for Christ. I know everything has a purpose. I know you're working everything out. I know that I need this thorn because it, it, it helps me in my pride. The only way that you get to this is through testing. Testing strengthens us. Dad gummit. We gotta go through testing. I mean, but that's why James says it. He says, what? Consider it pure, pure joy. Pure joy. Not contaminated with anything, but consider pure joy, my brothers, my sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Do you need perseverance in your life? I do. That I'm not going to give up. And it says, let perseverance finish its work. Let it all be done in your life so that you may be mature, complete, not lacking anything. We pray that, we want that, we desire that, but we want to skip the test. We want to skip the process. We don't want any thorns. Jesus, just wave your hand over me. But it's only done through testing. This is where we find God. This is where we know God. This is where we taste and see the goodness. This is where we know that when we are weak, we are strong. This is when we know that we can walk into any situation that God calls us. Because when he calls us, he qualifies us. And even though we need to study to show ourselves approved, and we need to be, we need to be filled with the word of God, we need to do that, the Lord's going to put us in a situation where he's like, just be ready. Just listen to me. Say what I tell you to say. Do what I tell you to do. And you will experience the power of God in that dead situation. Willing, this Abraham and Isaac, willing to sacrifice your son because the writer of Hebrews said that he was so willing because he knew that even if his son was killed, God could raise him from the dead. Wow. See, promises of God in our life, they become real when they're tested in our lives. See, in order to taste and see that the Lord is good, we need to be willing to jump in the furnace. Like those three Hebrew young men said, you know what, God can save us, God can restore us, but even if he doesn't, I'm not bound to you. Even if I burn, even if I face torture, whatever it is, I'm not bound to the ways of this world. I'm not bound to the gods of this world. There's a God who loves me, and whatever happens, I'm in his hand. He has me, and I'm trusting him, so bring it on. See, Job at the end, he knew this. Job, in, Job 42, he said, I know. He said, God, I know you can do anything. And, I, and that no one can stop you. But listen to what he said. He said, before, I'd only heard about you before. But now, I've seen you with my own eyes. Before, I only heard about you. I trusted you and I walked with you. But now I've seen you with my own eyes. Do you want to see the Lord today? You want to see that power show up in dead situations in your life? 
then ask the Lord, Lord, give me strength to walk through this pain. Give me strength to walk through being misunderstood. Give me strength to walk through all of this stuff that is hurtful, it's harmful, it guts me to the core. But God, give me strength. Fill me with that new power. Enable me to do what you've called me to do. Enable me to love the way you've called me to love. I know you're working it out, but I need your strength. Do you need that strength today? I know some of the situations many of you are walking through. And you've asked the Lord. And I'm praying that God will give you strength in these moments. As the worship team leads us today, I'm going to invite you to do something that's often, that can be difficult for this community at times, but to respond in this moment. Don't walk away from this moment and say, I'll, I'll respond later, but say, you know what? I need power now. I need strength now. I need to know that God loves me now. I need to know that he's with me now. And we have prayer teams here, and just step out, walk forward, to the person next to you, whatever, but don't let this moment pass you by without saying, God, I need your power. I need your strength right now. Don't allow the enemy to say, do it later. The, the enemy procrastinates. God says, today is the day. Right now is the moment. Would you stand with me this morning? Jesus, we need you. Let's all stand together. We need your power. We need your strength. Don't let us be distracted from this moment because I believe in this moment you have a word, you have an empowerment that you want to bring to so many people. So, Lord, we respond to you. Amen. Even now before the worship team sings, just step out from where you are. Just come forward and pray with these people. Come forward, kneel at these steps in the altar before God and say, God, fill me. Do you want his power? Do you want his authority in your life? Just step out. Say, God, strengthen me in this moment. Give me wisdom in this moment. Be with my son and my daughter that don't know you. Be with my coworker that is persecuting me that no one knows about at work. God, I'm asking for healing for my body. I'm asking for healing for my family. I'm asking for healing in this relationship. Just even now, just, just step out. Ask the Lord. Take a step of faith. We seek you, Lord. Ask yourself, where do I need to be engaging with God? Where's areas of my life that I need to engage to know him and to follow him? Amen. Amen. Receive the word of the Lord. Be filled with his power. Be filled with his spirit. I love that little bridge that we sing. Even when I don't see it, you're working. See, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. It's, it's a spiritual battle that we don't always see. We experience it in the physical, but there's something going on. He's saying, even when you don't, you don't see it, I'm working. And even when we don't feel it, because our feelings are up and down and up and down and up and down. That's why he's a solid rock that we stand on. Love feelings, but they're up and they're down. He's saying, even when you don't feel it, I'm working. We hold to the truth of God, and that's why through testing we know. You know, I felt like nothing was going on, and then God did this. I, I felt like I was down and out and couldn't be used, and then God used me. I felt like I just had no strength, had nothing to give, and then God. That's why the testing. And, but let me say this, though. You, you don't need to go through testing alone. That's why we have the body of Christ in the church. That's why we pray. That's why we get together. That's why we do all these things. You, you weren't made to walk through it alone. connect, pray, get with somebody that you love and that you trust or, 
or just pray, God, send somebody with me that I can develop this kind of a, I can pray with them, I can get with them, whatever it is. See, we're tested, but who all is being tested here today? Everybody, right? We're all being, but you're in a room of people that are like, yeah, I, I'm being tested too. Get together. You know, if you're, if you're a student, man, get to youth group on Sunday nights. Be a part of that. If you have a elementary age kids, make sure they're down with Isabel. My goodness. And then we have all these groups. We have an amazing groups pastor, Pastor Kim. Do you appreciate her? I mean, who works so hard to do all this, you know? This is what we're talking about. She works hard, prays hard, develops leaders so that you can get with people and go, man, this, sometimes I say, this stinks. <laughs> That can encourage you and walk through it. And because I said this to somebody that I love very dearly. When I was back home, that they're going through a tough time and they're praying. And I looked and I said, you know, test this. I believe this is from the Lord, but you test it. And that's, if you feel like the Lord's giving you a word, when you say it to somebody, say, you know what, but you test this, you try this. But I talked to this person, I said, you know what, you're praying for this, but I feel it's going to be a long journey. If it's quicker, then great. I hope I'm wrong. But I feel the Lord saying, this is a long journey, and you need to have people along the way walking with you who love the Lord and can pray for you. Can we meet on Zoom once a week? Can we do this once a week? I know some people locally that can get with you. You need to get in a group. This, this is not just a group pitch. This is an intentional discipleship getting together. There are sign-up tables out there. You need to get with people. You need to step out. If you've been hurt before, test it. Try it. Get with it again. Because there's a reality. I've been hurt before, but I've also hurt people before. Right? I need people around me so that I can learn and grow and mature. Get in a group. Lead a group. Be involved in that. So don't just run from this place today. Sign up for a group. Get involved. There's a, if you're a group leader... Get with Pastor Kim down in the fireside room so that we can train, that we can be ready and say, God, you're getting us ready for this next level. You're getting us ready for this next season because we meet together in this large group, but we got to get together in small groups where we can have these conversations and pray for each other. Right? This is the model. We go through tough times, but we get together. And we say, you can make it. God's doing something in your life. Let's pray together. Let me walk with you. So as you leave today, if you're not in a group, man, sign up for a group. You got a question? Talk to Pastor Kim. If you're a leader, go be encouraged with other leaders and say, we're going to work together. God's got us for a mission for this season. Amen? Amen? I'm excited. <laughs> I'm excited. Thank you for being here today. Thank you for enjoying it today. Love you all. God bless you. As you leave today, before you sign up for a group, let's say this together. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. 